Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. I remember back years ago when I was doing an internship at a church in Horsham, and I was doing my studies for Certificate 4 in ministry. And one day the topic of creation came up, and we started talking about that amongst all the students. And I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to really impress my lecturer. He was a man, a great godly man named Bob Tucker, who is now with the Lord. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to go home, research creation theories, and then come back and have a real hearty discussion with him to impress him and show him how much I know. So I went home and I started looking at the different theories and, you know, I started looking at the literal seven days and, and then I started researching the metaphorical seven days. And then I went and, and researched even theistic evolution that somehow God spun the earth into motion and, and evolution took place, but God was one that started it. And after researching theories for quite some time, I walked into our lecture room one day and I walked up to, to Bob and I thought, this is my chance to shine. And I went up to him and I said, Bob, I'd love to have a conversation with you about creation theories. And the look on his face was, okay, let's, let's have that conversation. So he allowed me to just start talking and spouting my different viewpoints and, and theories that I'd learned. And I started talking about the seven days and the metaphorical seven days and um, theistic evolution. And, and he just sat there and listened to me the whole time that I was just talking and talking. It seemed like a long time. And then I finally stopped to take a breath and Bob said the most poignant thing to me. He said, Adam, you've got it all wrong. All that is important is in the beginning, God. You see, it might have been a literal seven days. It might have been a metaphorical seven days. And it might have been even theistic evolution. But all that's important to me is in the beginning, God. And he says, because creation, the creation story is not so much about how God created but more the fact that God did create. And I think that as we as we journey into this ever greater gospel series, we need to really pull back the curtain on what we really thought the gospel was, which is you're a sinner and now you get to be in heaven forever. And we need to really look at all the other pieces of the puzzle because if we go back to Genesis, we can see that even in creation, the gospel story was starting. And when we look at creation, we can see the character of God. And that's what I want to talk about today is who is this God that is so passionate about the gospel? Who is this God that made the gospel even possible? Because if we don't start there, I think that we miss a lot of what's to come. So where else do we start apart from in the beginning. And uh, if we go to Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation account. And uh, for the sake of time, I won't be able to go through every single part of it today because it's pretty massive. So in your own time, I encourage you, read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and look at the account of creation because it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. But we can see some, some pretty key things happening. So on day one, we see that God created light, day, and night. He literally said, let there be light. And from his words, from his mouth came light. And then in day two, he created the water and the sky and separated them. 
day three, we see he created the land, the sea, and the plants in Genesis 1, 9 to 13. Day four, we see the account of him creating the sun and the moon. And then day five, the sea creatures and the birds. And then day six, God created beasts and humanity. And you know what? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know what, Ads? This is meant to be like a, this is a big church sermon. I've heard this in Sunday school. Like I learned this years ago. You know, I made all the 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 felt pictures where I put, you know, the sun and the moon and the animals and man and, and the trees. And, you know, you're kind of just giving us a Sunday school wrap up of, of what God created. But I want you to just for a moment, just think about the character of God and what it takes for someone to be able to do what we just said, to speak and there would be light, to create something out of nothing. Can you imagine the pure creativity of someone to to create a tree when there were no trees before? You see, if you draw a picture, if you if you if you write a poem, if you write a story, if you, you know, anything that you do that's artistic and creative, let me promise you it's purely imitation. Because you draw your inspiration from things that you see around us. But God, in his ultimate creativity, created everything from nothing. But I think that we can see more about the creativity of God and the hugeness of God by looking at another piece of scripture. And that piece of scripture is in Job. You see, Job, and you might be familiar with the story, Job is a guy who was faithful to God, and and the devil said, you know what, God, he's only faithful to you because you give him um, blessings and that you're, you know, you're showering all these wonderful things upon him. Let me start to, to mess with his life, and you see, he won't praise you anymore. And God says, okay, I give you permission, go. And then Job's life turns upside down. He loses his his family, his livestock, his farms, and his whole world starts to crumble in around him. And, you know, he's faithful to a degree, but it comes a point where Job goes, you know what, God, this is ridiculous. It's time for me to start complaining because I've been faithful to you. I've served you. I've done nothing but give my whole life to you. And this is how you repay me? And he goes to God with these complaints. And then God responds to Job in chapter 38. And the interesting thing and the, the, <laughs> the crazy thing about Job, uh, Job's response is that God starts off in, in verse 3 by saying this, Job, brace yourself like a man. Now, I can promise you any time that God is going to respond to your prayers with brace yourself like a man, man, there's going to be something big coming, right? And he says, I've got questions for you, Job, and you must answer them all. Now, again, for the sake of time, I can't go into all of God's response because it is substantial. But God throws out some questions to Job like this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who determined the earth's dimensions? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Can you determine the movement of the stars? And I've written there and much, much more because God's response goes on for four chapters. 
four chapters, God is just asking Job all these questions, not just about how the, the world was created, but about the intricacies of of, of, of animals and, and Leviathan and Behemoth. And he starts just asking Job all these questions about how creation came to be. And Job gets to this place where he's like, okay, I, I won't <laughs> ask those questions again, God, because I've forgotten something. And Job forgot something that we all often forget. And that's the hugeness of God. You see, Job had a perfect reason to be kind of upset with God. His life had crumbled to pieces more than most of us today. And he went to God going, God, this is ridiculous. How many of us live in that space where we're worried about where our next paycheck's going to come from and how we're going to put food on the table and we go to God and we complain? Or COVID-19 has, has seen us get into this space where we're just sick of it and we just want to complain and, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Or we're suffering from mental illness and we're like, you know what, this is just going to be my life now. God, I have no idea why you want me to go through sadness and depression and anxiety. But you know what, this is just ridiculous. Why won't you heal me? And I firmly believe that if we live in that space too long, we are exhibiting the fact that we don't trust God. And I think the number one reason people don't trust God is they've forgotten who he is. Is that you today? Are you watching going, you know what? There's stuff going on in my life and I have no idea how this story is going to play out. I have no idea, idea what the things that I'm going through, what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't even know if I've got a job tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, happy tomorrow. I don't even know how I'm going to put food on the table for my kids. I don't know if my marriage is still going to be together tomorrow. And if we're in that space where we go and we complain to God, you know, and I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to take those questions to God and to ask him. But, you know, if we're living in that space, we go, God, what are you doing? Man, my life is out of control. I mean, I need to fix this. I'll do it, God, because you're not doing it. Then I think we've forgotten who God is. You know, again, this wouldn't be a sermon from me if I didn't have a movie reference. And as soon as I was writing this part of the sermon, God dropped into my mind a movie called Joe versus the Volcano. It's kind of like an unknown film. Not many people have seen it with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And Tom Hanks is a depressed guy. He works in a, in a boring old factory and he, he's just not happy with his life. And he goes on this adventure. He finds out he's, he's terminal. He's going to die. And he goes on this adventure to try and live life to the fullest for the remainder of his life. And, you know, he, he finds himself going on this crazy adventure and he, he he's shipwrecked and he's, he's on the middle of the ocean with, with no, no way of knowing how he's going to get out of this situation. And in the middle of the night, he, he can barely stand. He can barely open his eyes. And all of a sudden the moon comes up and I've got a picture here of that scene. The moon comes up uh, in front of him and he stands up barely <laughs> and he puts his arms in the air and he says to God, thank you for my life. I've forgotten how big you are. Is that us? Have we gotten to that point where we've forgotten the hugeness of God, the bigness of God, the majesty, the magnificence, the enormity of the God that we serve? 
If he's the God that can speak light, if he's the God that can breathe the stars and hold the oceans in his hands, can he not provide for you? He cares for the sparrows in the air and you are more valuable than, to, uh, to him than them. So can we not trust the God of the universe to do what is right and to look after his people? If you're sitting in that space today and you're watching this sermon and you're like, you know what, that's me. I've forgotten who God is. And, and to be honest, I don't know if I trust him. Just by looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and those chapters in Job, and again, for the sake of time, I couldn't put all of the characteristics of God in this. This is the God that we serve. He is a light-speaking, earth-forming, sky-hanging, ocean-holding, light-bringing, fruit-bearing, sun and moon-placing, star-breathing, animal-producing, man-forming, life-breathing, soil-cultivating, land-watering, spring-bringing, river-forming, gold-fashioning, woman-creating, foundation-laying, dimension-determining, cornerstone-laying, boundary-setting, cloud-counting, shore-limiting, morning-commanding, ocean-exploring, lightning-creating, galaxy moving, universe regulating, food providing, voice thundering, God of majesty. (laughs) This is the God that we serve. And again, I couldn't put all of it in there. I encourage you, read Genesis 1 and 2 and go and look at Gen- uh, Job 38 to 41. And you look at God as he, as he rolls off his characteristics like he's, he's you know sitting in a job interview and telling everybody, this is who I am. This is my majesty. This is my enormity. This is my hugeness. I'm a big, mighty, enormous, capable and able God to take care of all your needs. That's the God I serve. And when you look at those characteristics, I don't know about you, but I can't help but jump from my seat and go, you know what? My problems are nothing compared to my God. I can trust in Yahweh. I can trust in the God of majesty because he cares for me. When we look at creation, we don't fight about how it was done. We celebrate, look who did it. That's my God. That's who I serve. It's beautiful. But you know what? We're talking about the gospel here. And and we are, uh, as a staff, we're doing something called the Parish Collective, where we're with lots of other people around the country, and we're looking at how we, how we engage with our communities. And the number one question before you have to ask, okay, how is our church going to reach out into the community and engage with our community, is to answer this question, is what is God's dream for your community? You know, it's very easy for us to run off and go, I'm going to go and get into the local high school and I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go and do this. And, you know, we have all these ideas, but we really need to start by asking the question, God, what is your dream for our community? And I think that the same can be asked in regards to the gospel. If we really want to look at the creation account and go, God, what is your dream for the gospel? We can see two shining lights for God's dream. The first one is this. 
After God has created everything, we see in Genesis chapter 2, 8 to 14, this. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the west, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land in Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. That gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur, and the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. You see, I think that we can see something really beautiful in this piece of scripture. You know, Luke started off this series by talking about the apple and how the apple core has has so much nutrients, but also so does the flesh. And I think that if we look at the gospel, we understand the core of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus to die for us so we can spend an eternity with him. But I think that this starts to reveal the flesh. This starts to reveal the stuff that we usually don't think about. And that's this, is God's dream is that he loves and wants to redeem creation. You see, Genesis 1 is all about God creating everything that we see and everything that we don't see. But in Genesis 2, God is tending the garden. God has put these rivers in place to make sure that there's water going in certain areas, to make sure things are growing and trees and plants are flourishing. You see, God loves his creation. You know, every time God created something, he said it was good. And if you know a creative person, and maybe you're a creative person, you know that phrase. Because when you see a creative person and they make something that's good, they're going to make sure people know about it. Because they love it. They appreciate it. They take pride in their work. And I think that that's what we can see here is God is taking pride in his work. It was good. And you know, when God says something is good, it must be good. It's good. I love what Leroy Seat says, God loves all of creation, which includes the physical world of sticks and stones, of plants and animals, the whole world of nature. You know, it sounds maybe a little, a little leftist or a little greeny to say that God loves creation and we should, we should look after creation. And that's not an agenda here. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. All I'm trying to communicate is that God the author of creation was happy with what he'd made and he loved it. He took care of it. He looked after it. And because he loves it and because he took care of it, he also wants to redeem it. You see, the gospel goes further than just you and I. God is looking to redeem all of nature. You know, we see in Romans 8, 20 to 22, it says, Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning 
as pains of childbirth right up to the present time. God wants to redeem creation. What's God's dream for creation? Is that it is how he created it to be. Perfect. Not tainted. Not wrapped up in sin. Creation itself is groaning to be released and God... Man, that day is coming where God is going to release it and redeem creation also. How beautiful is that? But I think that not only creation, we can see a huge part of God's dream in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I don't want to go into it too much because Luke's going to talk about it next week. But we see this beautiful verse in Genesis 3, 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. You see, this is just after Adam and Eve had sinned and they were hiding from God. But I think that the most poignant and beautiful and underestimated thing happens here that we look at it and we go, that's awesome. Let's keep moving on in this this story. God was walking in the garden (laughs) for two reasons. I think God, again, like I said, was enjoying his creation because he loves it. But it shows that God is so immensely relational, so close to his creation. You know, in the world, we see this this idea of God as either this, this old man in the sky or we see this huge and, you know, amazing and magnificent being that is so untouchable. And, you know, what? in creation, we can see that that's who he is. He's massive, right? But one thing that most people miss out on is God is so entirely relational. He is so close to his creation. Yes, he put breath into our lungs. He developed the intricacies of the, of the eye and the, the central nervous system. And he is so, you know, huge and magnificent, but he's so close to us. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your likes, your dislikes. He knows your, your, your favorite movie. He knows your favorite Bible verse. He knows the, the things that get you up in the morning. He knows your passions because he knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you like that. He knows when the milk in your fridge goes off. God knows every single tiny piece of detail about your life because he loves you and he wants you. You see, not only does God love and want to restore creation, but he loves and wants to restore us, the pinnacle of his creation. You see, we are created in God's image. And God wants relationship with us. You see, we talked about in creation, God said it was good. He took pride in his work. It was good. And we read that in Genesis. He created that. It was good. He created that. It was good. 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 Do you know the first time in scripture where God says something isn't good? And I know right now all of our youth ministry guys are yelling at the screen, probably telling everybody around them what the answer is because we talked about it all the time. Is the first time it wasn't good is in Genesis chapter 2, 18, where God says, it is not good for man to be alone. God created us for community with each other and with him. You see... This God of the universe, this massive, seemingly untouchable, humongous, majestic God knows your name. 
and wants to be in community with you. And, you know, there's a reason why that's the case. God didn't need you. He didn't need me. He doesn't need us. He'll always keep being God. He is fully self-sufficient within himself. The reason God created you to be in community with him is because he wants you. (laughs) He just wants you. Late last year, I went to America and... And I've got four kids, if you didn't know. And I went to America by myself uh, as part of work and a bit of a holiday to see my family. I've got two brothers who live in America. And uh, when I was over there, all the kids were putting in their orders of what they wanted. In the first week, you know, they're, they're sending me text messages of, oh, Dad, we want you to get this and we want that. And Christine was telling me all the Reese's pieces and, you know, peanut butter chocolates and all that sort of things to get. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. No worries. When I finally got home, I was there for a month. When I finally got home, the presents didn't matter. The Reese's pieces and the Reese's chocolates didn't matter. Because when I came home and I walked through the doors at the airport to where everyone waits, my kids came running and they nearly tackled me to the ground. One on, one on a leg, another one on a leg, one on an arm, the other one hanging off my neck. The gifts, they never, that day they didn't say, Dad, where are our presents? They just wanted me. They were so glad that I was there with them, in community with them. You know, God's got amazing gifts for us. And he wants worship in return. He wants us to to worship him and to love him. But more than anything, God just wants you. He just wants me. He just wants us. There's nothing you have to do to earn that. Because God created you to be like that. And that's how he is. He's a communal God who loves us. So what's God's heart in this creation story? How does it, how does it play into the whole ever greater gospel? Well, the first thing is God is massive. <laughs> He's huge. But more than that, God loves his creation. He loves everything that you see around you. But the pinnacle of that is he loves you. And he wants you. And as we work through this ever greater gospel series, you'll see some some amazing things. You'll see part of the story where we really stuff up and God stands in a place for us and makes a way for us to be reconciled. And it all stems from this dream, God's dream to be in community with you because he wants you. So if you're watching today and you're struggling with with life or even self-worth, and where's God in all this? Remind yourself who God is. Trust in him because more than anything in the world, he just wants you. He just wants you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are a huge, magnificent, majestic God. Our small human brains can't even comprehend your majesty. The things that you've done, the things you've created, your power. But one thing that you've made so clear to us, God, is how much you love us.
you made a way for us to be reconciled to you, to have a living relationship with you, and not just in eternity and when we pass away, but even right now, you just want us. You want us. And Lord, for anybody who's watching right now who who needs to hear that, God, I just ask that you would imprint that truth on their heart, that you would whisper so softly into their ear, I just want you. We thank you, Lord, for making a way, for sending your Son. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you walk into this week, I pray that you will walk in the truth that the majestic creator of the universe wants you. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.